Every parent knows that they're going to make mistakes when it comes to raising their kids. But sometimes our shortcomings and failures as parents can haunt us, leaving us feeling overwhelmed with remorse and even shame. And sadly, our own struggles with shame can then contribute to counterproductive shame that our kids feel as well. In our interview today, I'm talking with Heather Nelson, a writer, a counselor, and a mom about what it looks like to pursue shame-free parenting that we might have joy-filled homes. Heather is the author of Unashamed, Healing Our Brokenness and Finding Freedom from Shame from Crossway. Let's get started. Well, Heather, thank you so much for joining me today on the Crossway podcast. It's great to be here, Matt. Thanks for having me. So we're going to talk today about shame-free parenting. Uh, And I I wonder if before we kind of jump in, there's so many different angles there that we would want to explore. But how would you simply define that? What is shame-free parenting? I would say shame-free parenting, you can look at it a couple different ways. So shame-free parenting from the perspective of the parent is being able to apparent in a way that doesn't cause you shame. Like, oh, Mm. darn, I just yelled at my kids. Or I just said that thing I never want to, sh- I thought I would never say. Um, so I would say, I would say that shame-free parenting is parenting in a way that won't bring you shame as a parent. It's also, from the children's perspective, it's parenting in a way that is keeping them from getting stuck in these cycles of shame through the way mm-hmm. that you're parenting. And it's also, redemptively, it is parenting in a way that's maybe different than what you experience. So it's not repeating these cycles of shame that can just get carried down generationally. So that's Mm. my long, short answer of shame-free parenting. So it's so interesting that there are those two components. There's two dynamics there. There's the parents' experience of shame and how how we're dealing with it as parents. There's also then the experience of shame, uh, the struggle against shame that our kids experience as well. And so I want to kind of explore both of those. But maybe before we jump into that, it seems like another word that is often used sometimes interchangeably with shame is guilt. So I wonder if you could help us understand what's the difference between shame and guilt in your mind uh, are they mutually exclusive or are they overlapping or, or something else? I like to think about it like if you picture a Venn diagram of two overlapping circles and guilt's on one side, shame's on the other side. There is a brief place where they overlap, and I'll talk about that in just a moment. But for the most part, they're two separate entities. Hmm. So guilt, as I define it, is related to the feelings you have after you've sinned after you've sinned against someone, after you've sinned against, ultimately, every sin is against God. And so you've done something wrong, and you feel guilty afterwards. And the way to get rid of that guilt is asking for forgiveness, admitting your wrongdoing, and repenting. And so then guilt goes away. Shame can feel like guilt. Maybe that's where the shame and the guilt kind of intertwine is that sometimes mm. and sometimes what bega- what begins as guilt can morph into shame. And so shame is something larger than just I did something wrong and I feel badly about it. Shame is I am wrong. I'm defined by the bad thing either that I did and then this is expanded from guilt or that someone did to me. Shame mm. can be a, a result of other people's sin against you as well. 
Um, and that's where it's really important to, I think, separate out what is guilt, what is shame, because guilt can actually be guilt is a healthy, spiritually healthy response to sin that we want to have both for ourselves and our children. Whereas shame is not. Shame is the kingdom of darkness reigning, really. And shame is what keeps you from coming into the light with the things you've done wrong or the things that have been done against you. Mm. So you work as a counselor by trade. Yes. Uh, do you see a do you often see people confusing guilt and shame when you talk with them? All the time, mm. all the time. And I mean, some of it is, and, and I think that usually becomes this huge aha moment for people when I'm counseling them, when I talk about, oh, wait a second, you just said you feel guilty about some abuse that happened in your life. That, that's not guilt, that's shame. That's the mm. other person trying to put their guilt on you. Um, so that kind of thing, or, okay, you're saying you feel guilty about not spending enough time with your kids. Well, you have a full-time job and you have all these other responsibilities. Is that truly guilt or is that shame that you're not living up to your own expectations or the culture's expectations of you? Hmm. So I think that begins to be really important to make that distinction. But most people, I think, view it sort of interchangeably. Yeah. Well, it seems like uh, a big part of shame as distinct from guilt is uh, is that shame is something that we often, it, it's a way we view ourselves or in our, our identity uh, yeah. rather than just a, a way we view something that we did or said or, or something that we, yeah, a sinful behavior that we had. Is that a fair way to distinguish the two? Yeah, absolutely. I think shame is, is really essentially an identity question. Um, and that's what makes it, I think, so big, so hard sometimes to wrap your, your head around it or even mm. deal with it in your life. So you said something earlier uh, that I thought was an interesting phrase. You said that uh, there's often this shame cycle. Uh, mm. What does that cycle look like? Unpack that for us. So I think I was, so it can be generational or it can be in someone's life. So I'll start with just for an individual, the shame cycle. And I'm just going to go ahead and say like how it might show up in parenting is that um, let's say my kid does something they're not supposed to do. I correct them, but I correct them in anger and like sinful anger and maybe in front of a lot of people because Underneath all of that, I'm feeling ashamed that my child acted in such a way. So I'm feeling embarrassed. I'm feeling like I haven't met the mark. And so then my response to my child becomes this very shaming response mm. of why did you do this? You're so terrible. Maybe I'm not saying those exact words, but that message is coming across loud and clear. And then afterwards, there's guilt for what I've just said. And then there's shame along with the guilt of, yep, this is what I always do. I did it again. And mm -hmm. so that becomes this shame cycle of the next time it happens, the shame is going to make me feel like, well, I'm a bad parent anyway. So might as well just keep doing what I'm doing and nothing can change. And then generationally, it's easy to see how that can play itself out of the child who's been shamed by their parents will then feel like, oh, this is the way I'm supposed to parent. And maybe the only way to make 
my parents happy is to also shame my children, you know, so it just becomes this terrible, destructive cycle. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like for both the parent in that, in that example, and also for the child, a part of the shame is this feeling of powerlessness or a feeling of an inability to, to actually change things or change themselves. Is that part of shame or is that an effect of shame that often happens? Absolutely. I think both of those things can go together. I think it could be you know, both an effect of shame and what causes it is you feel like there's no other option than doing this. Like this is the only way that I can, you know, get some power back. And of course that it's the opposite effect. Um, Mm. And it does create a sense of power, powerlessness and also paralysis in some ways, emotional paralysis of I'm just stuck here. We're both stuck in this awful moment, you know, that Mm. seems to be go on forever. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure every parent listening right now, whether that exact situation has happened or maybe something like that, we, we all feel a little sense of, yeah, yeah, we've been there. I, I've, I've done something like that before with my kids. I wonder if uh, you then could, could share, have you ever personally experienced that struggle with shame in your own life and then maybe a struggle that ended up leading to something with your kids? Um, no, I am the perfect parent. So um, that's why I chose to write about that. No, not at all. It is something that I definitely very early on experienced with the twins. Um, when they were, when they got to be like walking and talking age, so probably 18 months, two years old, they began going in opposite directions and often getting in trouble at the same time in opposite directions. And my response is the calm, collected parent was to just totally lose it many times a day and just kind of unleash an anger and very sinful anger at them. And often, again, like this was stemming from my sense of shame of I need to get control of my kids. I'm out of control. And so I'm acting in a way that's out of control and that's very shaming. And then the cycle would be I would yell at them. And then immediately I would feel terrible, but not really know what to do. I would feel kind of paralyzed in that moment. And so then shame just begins to set in and it just made me more likely to deal with them in an unhelpful way the next time. Mm. So yes, this is definitely something I have struggled with and continue to. Yeah. Was there an element uh, that was surprising to you about that struggle? Did you realize that that was uh, something that that you would struggle with before you had kids? I never saw myself as an angry person until I had children. Um, I pictured myself as being the perfectly delighting parent who would take joy in my children every step of the way. And for sure, I do enjoy my children and have taken joy in them, but I never pictured losing it in anger as something Mm. that would be part of my story and part of my struggle. So yes, it was very surprising for me to see my own heart react. It seems like that's that's a common experience for for many parents, um, myself included, is you learn things about yourself, often maybe hard to hard to admit things about yourself through parenting. I wonder, why do you think that is? Why is it that there's often so many things that we are unaware of uh, or maybe just unwilling to face about ourselves that parenting really brings to light? I think with parenting, your selfishness is all of a sudden just non-negotiable. 
like in marriage, that's one level of like, okay, I'm beginning to see some of my selfishness here, some of my sinful patterns. But in one sense, you're, I mean, you're dealing with another adult. So you kind of both can still negotiate around your selfishness. Like, well, I want to go to the beach today. You want to go to the mountains tomorrow. We'll do the beach this weekend. We'll do the mountains next weekend. Okay, great. Both of us are pretty happy with the outcome. With children, they come in like a freight train. And it's not a question of, well, let me negotiate when you need to be fed tonight. No, they're coming in literally screaming their needs to you. And your resistance just comes out in full force. Mm. So I think parenting really unmasks the sinfulness of our own hearts and Mm. pushes us to places where ultimately you have to learn to depend on Jesus in a whole new way or try to develop some really good and probably unhelpful coping mechanisms. Yeah. Well, and and shame as a parent is something that uh, both uh, men and women, uh, dads and moms experience and struggle with to different extents. Uh, but you, you do talk in your book about the powerful message of shame that almost every mother wrestles with in particular. I wonder, have you uh, observed that uh, a special, um, a, an especially difficult dynamic of shame uh, that moms in particular struggle with in your own counseling work or even in your own life? Yeah, I think as a mom that there's this mom culture and every mother who's listening right now, she knows what I'm talking about. There's the mom culture of, do my kids eat enough organic food? Are they homeschooled? Are they in public school? Are they at Christian school? Are they at private school? Are they sleeping enough? Am I sleep training them? Are I'm letting them figure their own way out? And so there's all these different issues and it becomes kind of the mommy wars is another way of saying it, but sort of this expectation and pressure that I think we've tended to put on ourselves and assume from the people around us that I have to be the perfect parent and I have to prove myself as, and particularly I think as a mom, I have to prove myself, I have to show that I, I can do it all, have it all, be it all for my children, whether I'm a working mom, whether I'm a stay-at-home mom, whether I'm some combination of the two, there's an equal set of, I think, expectations almost anywhere you look. And I think we as moms have not tended to be the most kind towards one another. And I do see that shifting. I think there's a great movement towards being real and being honest and really inviting inviting that same response in others and saying like, we're all doing the best that we can. But I think, I think every mom is having to combat with this huge shame message of you're not enough. Mm. Well, and obviously depending on someone's context that the type of church or the type of community they're in, maybe some of those expectations will differ. Um, But I guess I wonder if you could explain a little bit more, how are those expectations forced upon moms? Like, what are the ways that that actually is, is pressed on people uh, in their lives? It's a really good question. I mean, I definitely think church and family culture can be huge. And it can be, it can be as simple as, well, this is the way it's always been done. You know, like, well, I come from a family of, you know, for example, I'm just giving an example, I come from a family of 
women who've always stayed at home with their children. So for me to not stay at home full time with my children, wow, that's breaking the mold, you know, in some ways, like, or it could be the opposite. I've had friends who said, you know, my mom was a very successful doctor, and she wonders why I'm not using my college degree in the same way that she did, and why I'm at home full time with my children. So sometimes it's simply the example, or maybe you go to a church where almost everyone is homeschooling, and you're the one who's decided to send your kids to public school. And so it's just that pressure of, I'm different, you know, I think, or that becomes a pressure, and you feel like, I think a mom can feel like I have to explain when I'm choosing differently than the people immediately surrounding me. That kind of yeah. answer some of that. Yeah. So then speak to the mom listening right now, or maybe speak to the on two angles on this front. What what can she do to uh, personally um, guard herself against these feelings of shame that are sometimes pressed upon her from the outside, or maybe uh, that she presses upon herself? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on on the on the other side. What can she do to help other moms not feel the shame that sometimes they can feel because of their decisions? Mm-hmm. I'm going to quote, there was um, a woman who spoke as part of a parenting class at my church and my kids were really young. And she just said, she said, you are the expert on your children. And I felt like that was incredibly freeing to really think about that, that like, I, that I am the expert on my children. No one else is. No, and no one else is called to be the mom of my children. Mm. Neither am I called to be the mom of other people's children. And so I think if we're able to take that truth to heart, that the children, my children are a gift given to me by the Lord, and He's going to give me the wisdom to make the decisions that are best for them. And so really trying to quiet the other voices Sometimes that looks like stopping reading all the blogs or the parenting books. There's been times in my own life where I just had to stop reading parenting books because (laughs) every parenting book had a different opinion about whatever the issue was that faced me. And it was confusing me. I mean, there's certainly a great place for parenting books to help inform. But to to some degree and at some point, you have to decide, okay, this is what's right for our family moving forward. And so I think if you're focused on that, then I think that really helps you to have kind of some security and some freedom from shame. If you're mm. convinced this is what's best for my family and for my children. Yeah. And I think out of that security, you're then able to offer freedom to the people around you. You know, I think even saying, you know, even being able to say and admit like, this is what if you're taught if you're having the parenting advice conversation with other moms, being able to to throw in there, well, this is what worked for my kids, but your kids might be different. I think just even that phrase would go a long way to really reducing some of the shame that we tend to exert on other people um, and not being quick to offer advice to other moms. I think particularly when you're a new mom and I'm thinking about when I was a new mom it can be easy to jump in with other new moms and say, well, if you just did this, this would help with your children. And I have to say that really drove me crazy because as a mom of twins, (laughs) I had two kids who had really different needs, often mutually exclusive needs at the same time. And so I was seeing from the get go, well, what worked for one, like I'm doing the same thing with both, what works for one isn't working for the other. 
And so I found some comfort in talking with parents of multiple children because you essentially realize I thought I was doing really great with child A and then child B came around. I did the same thing and child B didn't respond the same way. So I think mm. having a little bit of humor and levity and also realizing just respecting the fact that my kids are different than your kids, your background's different than my background, and I'm going to love and support you as a mom because what's common is that this is hard work. Whatever you're doing, however you're doing it, this is hard and we're in it together. Hmm. So as we wrestle with our own sinful hearts as parents, including our own shame, uh, we can then sometimes in our shame contribute to our kids' shame. So I wonder if you could just unpack a little bit more. How does that sometimes happen? I think it can often happen when we're not, when we don't know ourselves and we don't know our children. And so, and we're not being careful and thoughtful. Um, so often I think it can be those impulse responses, like the example I gave earlier of you're in a crowded place, you're surrounded by family, your kid acts out in a way that is completely shaming to you or embarrassing. And so you just like snap and say, okay, stop right now. And it's kind of like shame is telling you do whatever it takes to get out of the situation. It doesn't matter what the damage is. And I think the times that I've been able to just step aside and first calm myself down and take a minute and think, okay, what would it look like to lovingly interact with my child and what would it look like what does my child need in this moment because maybe they feel embarrassed too and so nine times out of ten being able to pull your child aside and take a little extra time is going to yield much better results mm. than kind of the shame exacerbation of that moment yeah yeah so when it comes to parents and how they interact with their kids um, you you draw a contrast between shame-laden words versus shame-resilient words. I wonder if you could unpack that contrast. What would be some examples of those two different kinds of words? Right. Um, so I think shame-laden words would be something like, why do you always do this? Whatever this is. And it could be true. It could be totally true that your child always yeah. does whatever it is. So kind of, that would be a shame-laden word because that's sinking deep into their identity, that this is something they always do, they can't escape it. Shame-resilient words for the same situation would be, well, it looks like you spilled the crayons on the floor again and the markers and the paint. What can we do to help clean it up? So in that, you're identifying a specific action and you're also giving them the opportunity, giving your child the opportunity to help you make it right. Um, I think another example is like anytime you use an identity statement, like you are so naughty, you are so bad, you are so disobedient. All of those are shame laden words because they're identity. They're going straight to the child. You're describing every part of them as whatever this is. A shame resilient word would be, again, separating out what they did from who they are. And also just trying to focus on the things that they do that are good. Um, you may not be able to focus on that in the moment, but trying to take this big picture look of what are some things your child does really well? 
and how can you encourage them in that? Hmm. So what would you say to the parent listening right now who, who kind of says those distinctions between shame-laden and shame-resilient words, does that really matter? Does it really make that big of a difference? If my kid is being naughty, uh, I should be able to say, you know, don't be naughty. You're being naughty. Uh, what would you say in response to that kind of uh, response? I would say, sure, if it happens a couple times. And I, again, I'm not saying that I've never said these things to my children. I mean, there have been moments where I'm like, you are being so bossy. You're being so disobedient. But I think when I, if the general pattern becomes that your child is always hearing these words from you, these identity words, that sinks in. It sinks into a little kid's heart. And in some place, they begin to form this opinion of themselves that I am bad, I am wrong, I am naughty, and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If I'm naughty, why not be naughty if I'm naughty all the time? And that becomes obviously counterintuitive to what counterproductive to what we're trying to do as parents. So it's practically, it's just not a good strategy. And then in terms of looking at the kid's heart, then it's building in them this identity of shame. And so the difference between these identity statements versus action statements where you're pointing out, okay, here's what happened and here's how we make it right. That actually is more informative to your child too than just you're being naughty. Well, I don't, what did I do that was naughty? Is it the, you know, was it this action or was it that action? Was it the fact that I finished eating or the fact that I threw my plate on the floor? I mean, which one was it? We would hope our children would know the difference, but when they're young, especially, they don't always know. They may not know what it was that they did. So being able to say, when you threw the plate on the floor, that wasn't okay and there's gonna be a consequence and let's talk about it. And in the future, I expect you not to do that. You know, being able to have these high expectations for your kids, really helping them live into that as well. Hmm. So something I've wondered and kind of had to think through a little bit in my own parenting with my kids is what does it look like to teach my kids about their own sinfulness, their sin nature, the fact that this sin is is deep within their hearts. Uh, It is something that they are born with and affects everything about them. But then how do I do that in a way that doesn't lead to unhealthy shame and making them feel like their identity is fully wrapped up in their sinfulness? And any guidance you would offer to parents on walking that line? I would say the first thing I would say is that it's something I struggle with every day. My husband and I struggle with every day is how do we how do we shepherd our children redemptively? acknowledging the depth of their sinfulness and also acknowledging the depth of God's grace and his redemption and their ultimate destiny. Their fulfilled redeemed destiny is going to be as glorious fellow children of the father with me and my husband. And so I think it's that having to keep both of those things in mind that there's this phrase that's, you know, we're simultaneously saint and sinner. And I think, how do we do that in parenting? I think the fact that we will do that in parenting and that we're trying to do that in parenting, that's what's gonna lead to redemption for them. 
And I think there's developmental answers as well. I think when your kids are young, they do need to be taught right from wrong. And so you're probably going to dwell a lot more on their sin living inside of you. And what you naturally choose is often going to be what's selfish and what's sinful. And then as they're getting older, you know, really getting a sense of like the law of God, that there are rights and there are wrongs in the world. And I have a choice about whether I'm going to do what's right or whether I'm going to do what's wrong. And I think as they get older, teaching them, but your sinfulness isn't the end of the story. You can never live up to God's law perfectly. And neither can I. And I think really being able to encourage to bring yourself into the picture with them and say, I have sin living within me as well, but God is redeeming me and he has promised to redeem you as well through faith in Jesus Christ. And so being able to really teach them about this redeemed identity of as a chosen beloved daughter or son of God through faith in Christ, I think that begins to give hope to combat that sinful nature. Hmm. Yeah, when it comes to highlighting your child's needs for the gospel and and hope in the gospel, how important, how valuable is it to bring yourself into that picture as a parent and, and talk about your own need for the gospel? I think it's essential. I think it really helps to show the child a real life incarnational picture of what redemption looks like. So in those early days of parenting, when I would lose it in anger at my wayward twin toddlers, I would come back, and they may not remember this, not at that time. I have lost it in anger at them since then, so I'm sure they will have many, many recent memories of this. But I would come back to them and say, girls, mommy messed up. I sinned, and I need Jesus. And I shouldn't have yelled at you, and I need your forgiveness, and I need God's forgiveness in that. And I think what that does is if you're able to do that in developmentally appropriate ways all throughout your child's life, is it really does paint a picture of you as a fellow journeyer, because that's what we are. Ultimately, we're fellow journeyers on this pathway of life towards redemption and towards perfection, which we won't arrive at until heaven. So it helps your it helps you to be approachable and it helps you to really show empathy because it's so different when I'm talking to a friend about a struggle it's really different if they can respond with oh yeah I've been there too you know there's a whole different level of intimacy there I think and just of conversation that can happen and freedom mm. so I've talked with other parents who you know, many of them uh, that that comes somewhat naturally to them they're they're not they, they feel that desire to uh, confess their sin appropriately to their own kids and apologize to their kids when they need to. But then for other parents, um, maybe they just never saw that modeled by their own parents. And so just the, the thought of doing that feels very foreign. It feels very awkward. It doesn't come naturally at all. What word of encouragement would you give to a parent who feels like that? It says, I, I see what you're saying, that I should do this, but it's just very hard for me to, to do that. Well, start small. You know, that's what I would say is start small and it's okay if it feels awkward. Some of the best things in life feel awkward at the beginning. And so 
practice will make it easier, but there's, there's no shortcut either. You know, you can't say, well, in five years, I'll start then. I'm like, start today. And when, as God shows you some of your sin and the way that you're interacting with your kids or with your spouse, if you're just able to, you know, if you have to script it out, if you have to write it out first before you say, talk to your kids, that's fine. Or maybe it's easier to write your kids a letter or a note saying, I'm sorry that I yelled at you this morning. Will you forgive me? Maybe that would feel less awkward. So start there, you know, start small and ask God for opportunities to practice. And I'm sure he'll be, he'll be glad to give them to you. So realize that even though it's awkward, doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. And that it will get easier with time. It's always a scary thing to ask God for uh, opportunities to, to grow in some way, because yes, he often it does it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so in your book, you offer some self-assessment questions uh, aimed at helping us as parents to, to maybe understand or see whether or not shame is, is too prevalent in our homes, whether it's, it's too dominant of a thing. Uh, what are some of those questions that you think it would be helpful for parents to ask? Um, Yeah, I think, you know, a few things that I mentioned in the book and that I just would go over again is, you know, asking yourself how often you delight in your child. If you're delighting in your child, then you know that those moments are without shame and that that's creating this, this really strong connection between you and your child. If you have a hard time remembering the last time you just enjoyed your child, It might be shame is at play more than what you think, or it might be that this is an opportunity to just grow in knowing your child. Another question that I asked that we've touched on is just whether you're disciplining your child publicly or privately. I think this is crucial to really um, minimizing shame that is, there's going to be guilt with discipline, and there is probably going to be some level of shame as well. But if you're able to do things privately instead of publicly. I think that really helps with minimizing it. I think also along with that, when you're disciplining your child, if you are able to affirm your love to them before, during, and after the moment of discipline, and even if they don't believe your words, but if you're able to say, I love you, and it's because I love you that I'm doing this, and then afterwards being able to say, I love you, I love you even though this happened and nothing will ever change that. I think that begins to build a real shame resilience in your child that they know even if they do things that are very wrong, that they can never lose that relationship with you. I think that's one of the most powerful things we offer our children is our relationship with them. Um, I wonder if you could then speak to uh, the, the parent listening right now who uh, for whatever reason, and there's so many reasons that we struggle with shame, uh, they are feeling ashamed. They're mm-hmm. feeling this this burden, this weight uh, that goes beyond guilt, that does feel uh, perhaps uh, paralyzing to them sometimes. They can see how it maybe affects the way that they interact with their kids and their spouse and others. Uh, what word of encouragement would you offer to that person? I think what I would say, first of all, is that you're not alone you may feel like you're very alone, but I guarantee you there's someone maybe very close to you who feels the same way. And so I think the hope is that if you would be honest, if you're willing to be honest with someone who seems safe and share with them, I'm feeling really ashamed of the way that I've been parenting, or I just feel really stuck. I think you will find that you aren't alone, that 
the parents around you have experienced that, have felt that, if they're being honest. Um, and even if they haven't, they're probably willing to enter into where you are and hear about it with you. Maybe there's no one that you can think about in your life who you can identify as someone safe to be honest. And that would be a great time to seek counsel from a professional counselor or from a pastor, or discipleship leader, small group leader, someone that you can be honest with and with the hope of finding you yourself, finding some empathy there for your struggle with shame that will help you to know you're not alone, you can be vulnerable, and there's hope, there's a way out. Because you could be feeling shame, maybe for the way that you've responded, and you knew nothing different. You don't know how to parent differently than a more shameful way, because it's what is in your DNA, it's what you grew up with. And there's a lot of resources, and I think a lot of hope that just realizing and recognizing the shame, that's the hugest first step. So many parents, I think we can just go through life and go through, you know, parenting, not even giving a second thought to even asking the question. So if you're feeling guilty, or you're feeling, I shouldn't say guilty, if you're feeling full of shame right now, and you can identify that, then that is the hugest sign that there's redemption at work in your heart even now. Yeah. Well, Heather, thank you so much for talking today to us about this this topic of shame and how it can affect us as parents and affect our kids. Um, we really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, you're welcome. It's been a privilege. Thank you. That was Heather Nelson on Shame-Free Parenting. For more, be sure to check out her book with Crossway, Unashamed, Healing Our Brokenness and Finding Freedom from Shame. Pick up your copy of the book for 30% off directly from Crossway by visiting crossway.org plus. That's crossway.org plus. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, would you leave us a review? That helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.